Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today, I'm excited to have on my program, Marty Wilkinson. Marty is the church leader at College Station, Texas, which is the home of Texas A&M. Currently top five in football right now, home of Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel. And I look forward to talking to him. What I'm really excited about is uh, Marty's always been a great leader, but he's undergone, undergone a physical transformation over the past year or so and has lost nearly 100 pounds and increased his muscle. And so today we're going to be talking about what he's done and what we can learn to have physical and spiritual fitness in our lives as disciples. Marty, welcome to the program. Uh, it's great to be on, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Marty, can you tell me how you became a Christian? Yeah, I, um, I was blessed to grow up in the church. Uh, let's see. Uh, so I was baptized at 13 in the San Antonio church. Uh, but kind of when I look at my conversion, it, it, you got to include the family. My dad was actually reached out to. He was in the Navy in the late 70s. And uh, he was reached out to a soul talk in Florida as he was stationed in the Navy. And uh, then he went from there, he went on to preaching school at a Church of Christ school in Lubbock, Texas. He met my mom, got married, became a preacher, was preaching at a church in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, things weren't going well. He didn't have men in his life, and he knew where to get discipling. He knew where to get help. So he reached back out to the uh, Boston movement as it was those times, and he studied the Bible with guys from Chicago uh, over the phone. And while leading the church, went up there, studied the Bible, got baptized came back to uh, his church, which was a movement-friendly church. Um, they're, they're kind of, the ch- our heritage uh, at that time was pretty interlinked. And uh, he told the church, hey, I got converted. I became a disciple. I really repented, got baptized. And I think you guys need to, too. And uh, that afternoon, the church met uh, secretly, the leaders, and uh, he was fired by the Sunday evening service. I said, you and anybody like you need to leave. And uh, from then on, there were about 30, 30 disciples who had been converted elsewhere, but were a part of this Church of Christ, um, like in college and these different campus ministries where many were doctors, lawyers, uh, who had connections with the Boston movement, but it, being a uh, movement-friendly church, they were there. And so they all left, started meeting my parents' uh, living room, and then they moved up to Dallas the year before the church was reconstructed. And so they went through the reconstruction there in the Dallas church. There was about a hundred people and my, my parents and another couple were leading the, the church at the time, that group. And w- during the reconstruction, they took the other couple up to Boston for more training and uh, let my parents go. They got out of the ministry and uh, just became faithful disciples in the church. They were asked to go back to San Antonio. We were only there two years. The Dallas church that started where there was there planted uh, year one the second year, they sent out three different congregations, uh, literally broke the church into four. And so we were a part of that and moved back to San Antonio, where I grew up, and uh, which is now the Mission Point Christian Church. And so I grew up in that church, uh, got baptized, studied the Bible. I remember uh, my first study, I sat down, you know, I'd gone to church camp, and I thought about, you know, I wanted to become a Christian. And so I sat down with the evangelist, Pete Velos, and uh, he, he said, I said, I want to study the Bible. I want to be a disciple. And he said, why do you want to be a disciple? And he told me, I said, well, I was 13, okay? I said, because disciples are cool. 
you know, and uh, <laughs> that, that was my, that was my spirituality at 13 disciples are cool. And he goes, why? I appreciate you think we're cool, but it's gotta be something deeper because actually disciples aren't always cool. And uh, so he challenged me that day, that first Bible study to love God. And um, I went home, got out the old school concordance and uh, looked up scriptures on what it meant to love God. Came across first John five, three to love God. This is to love God is to obey his commands and they're not a burden. Mm. And so I began my pursuit to, to love God and not just be religious. I, I knew religious religiosity. I mean, I grew up in the church. I could have told you how to lead the Bible studies. I sat through first principles classes, but it wasn't my heart really had to get, be engaged. And, and so I'm so grateful for that, that very first study where, where Pete challenged me to love God, because that's, that's been my pursuit ever since to, to really not just be religious, but to actually have a heart for God and it, and it not be a burden. And uh, I was baptized uh, in, on July 24th or July 21st, 1994 uh, in San Antonio. I got confused there because my wife was actually baptized in Houston as a teen. She was 12. She was baptized three days after me uh, in, in Houston, uh, in the Houston church. So we were both uh, members of the, the beginning and foundation of the teen ministry in, in San Antonio and in Houston. Wow. So we grew up going to church and um, it was a real blessing for us. Wow. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. It, I think some, sometimes uh, the passion loses steam in the second generation. What What's inspired you to to stay fired up, to even go into the ministry, um, you know, being being raised in the church, being accustomed to things? What's, what's helped you to keep that fire? I re- I've always really respected those who preach the word. Um, I've been... Um, from a young age, I remember I, uh, so I like to go to youth court and they had this application. I wanted to go and, and the application was, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was, uh, I think 16 at the time. And I wrote this lofty idea that I was going to go into college. Uh, I was going to play football in college and get married in college, go to ministry and uh, graduate and go lead a church. And uh, the cool thing is all those things happened. I, I identified I was going to go to the University of Texas. I wasn't that skilled athletically. Uh, I went to another school, but and um, but uh, God blessed me with those things. And even at you know, I just had this dream. And and uh, people joke with us, my wife and I, that we are the Kingdom Kid dream that we met because we met at church camp. And uh, my mom was her counselor, <laughs> and she said, "You need to meet this girl." I was a junior in high school; she was a sophomore. We were at a teen re- winter retreat at Thousand Oaks Ranch in Texas. And uh, she said, hey, I, there's this great girl in my cabin. You got to meet her. And so my mom always brags that she picked out my wife for me. <laughs> and, uh, and so I met her. Honestly, we didn't think much of each other at the time. It wasn't romance at first sight. But then that next summer, we started, uh, we worked at camp together and we fell in love and I started dating. Um, but I, sorry, I went off topic. But the, you know, why did I choose ministry? I think because God needs people to choose ministry. Not everybody can choose to go. I have a degree in physical education. And if I went to teach, I would have missed so many opportunities. I think that's a good calling and a good field. But I just felt like, man, God needs men to step up and do this. And where would I be if it wasn't for men uh, who were leading? Um, and I think people believed in me. I think about the Tollivers and, and the faith that they had to believe in me. We, um, 
you know, Rob, we went into the ministry in 04. So like I graduated in May of 04. Most people, if you look at our church history, most people were hitting the doors, were leaving the ministry. Exactly. And, and church finance, there was no money. Like the contributions had dipped, memberships had dipped and people weren't going in. Like it was a rare time. And so we actually were like, we want to go in the ministry, um, but no one offered us a job. Mike just said, I'll train you. And, uh, but we don't have any money, so I'll train you. And so what we did that spring break, right before I graduated, we just prayed and we said, you know what, we're going to, the Church of Christ model was, if you went to the school of preaching, you sent out letters for support to your family and friends, and they supported you to go. And that's what my dad did. That's how he went to school of preaching. My grandpa, who was a missionary uh, in Papua New Guinea, that's how he lived his whole life. He was supported uh, in his missionary work. And so we did it. We just prayed. We sent out a letter. And within two or three weeks, we had more than a half of what we needed to be supported. And at the time, my wife had this part-time job. This very generous man gave us full benefits, uh, both of us. He, you know, Sometimes she would only work just enough to cover my benefits. He paid hers fully. Um, but then we were able to train in the ministry. And so for two years, we were self-supported. Um, and that was a, a huge thing. We weren't even paid to do it. And the funny thing was we, we raised so much support that when we actually got paid by the church, we took a pay cut. So, uh, you know, it was a, it was definitely, it wasn't for the money. It was for the calling. It was for that. I want people to go to heaven. And I believe that God can use sacrifice. He can use time. And if you'll put yourself in training, if you find a trainer, uh, man, watch out. God can do some great things. And I, I'm so blessed because people like the Tollivers believed in us our supporters in the church. I mean, it was just, it's just really great. I mean, I had, one of my best friends had gone into his career already. And during that time we went on vacation and he would send like 50 or hundred bucks every month. And we went on vacation together and, and it was Sunday morning and we were with another couple and he goes, I brought my minister along. I, I pay his salary and he's going to do communion for us. You know, kind of, and he always joked like I was his, his personal concierge minister. <laughs> uh, and we laugh at it now. He's an evangelist in Houston now. He went into the ministry later, but uh, yeah, I just felt, you know, from a young age, I dreamt about it, thought about it. Again, it's kind of a heritage. My, my grandfather was one, my mom's dad, he was a missionary. Then my dad was a minister for many years in and out of the ministry. And then um, I had a couple uncles who were preachers in the church of Christ. So ministry was very a part of, of my life. I understood it. And um, I was just blessed that people gave me a shot and that, that they would be willing to train me. It's awesome. Um, and it, is, it has been a blessing. Now, you you are in a small college town in the middle of Texas. It's um, mm-hmm. relative, relatively small. What, what's inspired you recently? What's Give me something that has really caught your attention. It's like, okay, this is the hand of God at work here in the ministry. Absolutely. I, I think the emergence, because of the pandemic, the emergence of online ministry, and uh, studying the Bible, uh, it was pretty amazing. We had these, you know, couple or these these individuals who were coming out to the church for a long time, and then the pandemic hit, and their studies increased because now they had no excuses. Like I, I don't have any. I'm just at home, and so we started studying the Bible with with several adults. And uh, here at College Station, there's it's the largest university. There's over seventy thousand students. I mean, I think we're number one this year of student population. 
and enrollment. It's it's massive. And then the town are only it's two towns, Bryan College Station, one and a hundred thousand in each. So it's you see students everywhere you go, but one of the challenges has been to convert non-students and to the family ministry, the adult ministry. And uh, it was amazing. Once the pandemic hit, people were like, I have no reason I can't study the Bible. And I'm like, yeah, you don't. Let's open up Zoom. And and not only did they become disciples, we also saw students who had never been to our church. I mean, they never, uh, this one young man uh, named Wade, he was here, reached out to, and then pandemic hit. He had, I think he had done one Bible study, never come out on Sunday. And we just started studying the Bible online. Bobby, our campus minister, was uh, was studying with him. And then he, uh, towards the end, he was up in Dallas because everybody's, all the students went back to their homes. And so the last study, we counted the cost with them. We helped them. And we brought in the campus minister from Dallas, uh, Jacob Barlow, just so that he could baptize them. And so he went over to their house, baptized them, uh, because we were, it was really when quarantine was intense. And so we weren't traveling or doing anything like that. So and it's just God worked. And there were four other people who, the same thing, like you just, just God worked that they just, um, so I, I think that's been pretty amazing and inspiring to see that truly as when Paul says, there's no change in the gospel, like there are no change. We think we're limited by building structure, by schedule, even in being in the same town. Uh, we've gone to online devotionals. Uh, I've preached at a devotional in Lagos, Nigeria from my office. You know, I mean? like, <laughs> it's just been God's word is unchained. It, yeah. it cannot be stopped. And the pandemic has taught us that for sure. That's great. What, what's been challenging for you? What, what do you find as the biggest challenge you're facing? Uh, I know that you're really connected among campus ministers around the country. What are you seeing as a big challenge right now? Yeah, I think uh, I can speak for myself. Um, I think when we look at challenges globally, I think we face the similar challenges uh, as individual disciples. And to answer that, I'll just focus on myself. I think you know, I was, I was sharing with you earlier before we got on the podcast, uh, just emotional challenges. Um, one of the things that hit me this year is in February, one of my best friends, probably my best friend, uh, decided to walk away from God and his wife and his kids. And he was a minister. And I'll leave some of the details out, but he just walked away um, and uh, hasn't talked to me since. And so that loss has been very hard. Um it's just sad. I, I FaceTime with his toddlers and they're like, when are you going to come see me? I love you. I love you, Uncle Marty. And, and to know that this man that I said the Bible with baptized, loved, he's not raising his kids right now. And it, it has uh, been a grief and a loss. And so with that, I started, um, I decided I've thought about it for a long time. I started seeing a counselor, uh, Christian counselor, and it's been so helpful so helpful. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I'm learning growing in right now is, it's just my own personal identity and how I, I would describe it as like my self portrait. Like if I painted a picture of who I am and I wrote out all my strengths and weaknesses, I actually would have so many more weaknesses if I, if I was the author of it. Um, and so the, the self picture that I have has been distorted for years. And I feel like God has continued to strip away things that I find my worth in, things that I find my identity in. You know, as an evangelist, as a church leader, I would feel, you know, 
great affirmation and positive affirmation if the church grew. But if the church shrank, uh, I would just be miserable. I would feel like everything I did didn't work. It didn't matter. All the sacrifice, I just felt horrible. And so I was actually celebrating baptisms for the wrong reason. There was some selfish ambition in there, but also, you know, just preaching and teaching, um, you know, the many of the, the applause, the larger stages, the, you know, and the compliments, it would make me feel significant. It, I could puff out my chest. And, but then you take, go into COVID and you're preaching into a computer screen by yourself in your office and people that you're preaching to don't even have their Zoom screen on. So you don't know if they're there, if they're watching TV, you feel, you know, very, it's just stripped away this something, this affirmation that I relied on emotionally was then stripped away. And then we started meeting in person, socially distanced, mask on and stuff. And, and I thought, okay, I'll get some affirmation there. And then we, I preach and, you know, with, with the mask on, you have no idea of people's responses. Right. And so again, like my need for emotional affirmation from my work has really constructed my identity and so I've been working on, like even this is recent, uh, just deconstructing all of that, stripping it all down and learning that I am who God says I am, nothing more and nothing less. That my identity is not based on performance, it's not based on how I look, it's not based on how people feel about me, how, how fast the church grows or doesn't grow, who, what's the number saying, like God, he just loves me. And uh, so I've been diving into who does God say I am? And, um, and it's been really good. It's been, it's like a breath of fresh air. I just feel like I got air in my lungs. Like I don't have to perform. I don't have to, I don't have to spin all the plates to, to be, to think internally. No one else externally was saying this. No one, if I, if I describe myself, I would describe all of my failures and most people who know me are like, dude, you've actually been very successful. I mean, but I would, my internal picture was way off. And so, you know, God just keeps stripping down all the different things. And I, I think about Psalm 63, that God alone is my refuge, like emotionally, like that's it. That's, you know, pure purity that it's just God. There's no additives. I don't need anything else. Um, and uh, it's been good. It's um it's heart wrenching. I don't. I don't claim to have figured it all out. I still am wrestling with my own identity here, um, but I'm learning that God loves me, regardless of how I feel about myself. Or, um, so it's it's been it's been challenging, but a good challenge for sure. I really appreciate you sharing that, and I I certainly have felt pressure. I felt uh, you know, and I think many people are feeling very similarly to what you're feeling. How did you overcome the fear, the stigma of, hey, I'm going to go get a counselor? I, I think there's a lot of barriers, you know, that people feel that they go, man, I'd, I'd like to talk to somebody, but I just don't have anybody. How'd you kind of break, break through that? Any advice? You know, I, I am somebody that sees the benefit of coaching. Like that's being in sports my whole life. And I'm wired that way. I love coaching. I love evaluation. So that's just me. So if I can go in and say, hey, this is who I am, and this person is going to help me. Uh, I have learned from working with other people that a counselor, uh, the first one you may try, you may not like. And, and there's different people and personalities click and, and even techniques they use 
um, you, you got to find the right one. But I, I feel like it, I, I feel like it shows my strength and not weakness. And so anyone who would be hesitant on it, I would say, you know, just can, it says in Philippians, work out your salvation for it is God working in you. And I feel like when I go to the, my discipling partner and I confess sin, or when I go and sit down with my wife and go, Hey honey, I got something to talk to you about. It's not good. It's not like beneficial in a sense of like, she's going to benefit from this, but we're going to be closer at the end. It's going to hurt. And I think when you are vulnerable, when you're transparent, um, good comes from it. But when you hide and you walk in shadows, which I did for so much of my life, it, you just hurt yourself and you hurt those around you. And so transparency and just seeing the strength of God will use this moment, this moment of vulnerability of I'm here. Uh, can you help me? I, I'm broken. Like I lost my best friend. I don't know what to do. Like he's right. the guy I called all the time. He's not here. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, I just had to get to that place of desperate. Um, and, and then God through that has revealed so much more. Um, and so I would definitely encourage people to find a Christian counselor, uh, someone who's going to open the word of God, who's going to use biblical principles uh, to help you. Uh, I would definitely advise it to all ministers. Um, because one of the things I've seen is, it was so cool because I get in there and this guy has nothing to do with my job which is rare as a minister, because I go to the gym, I'm Marty the preacher, right? right. I, I, I go to my kid's school, he's a preacher. But here, I'm just someone who needs help. And there, and he's not looking for my help. Uh, I joke with our church often that everybody walked into church today with a pitcher and a cup. We all have one, and the pitcher's full. You've got something to give. And we all, we, we should be pouring out our pictures. And I feel like sometimes as a minister, I walk in and I'm pouring out, I'm pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. And I go, guys, I have a cup. Like somebody put something in my cup because you can't pour it in your own cup. And so to go to a counselor who is only there with me to fill up my cup has been very helpful. Because wow. um, as a minister, there's some isolation that happens and some separation that we've all experienced. And even though I invite them into my life and I confess my sin to them, I'm still in their eyes, Marty, the minister. Um, so it's been, it's been really helpful. Wow. That's, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Now let, let's talk a little bit about it. You, you, you always strike me as super fit. I mean, super strong. Uh, you played football, I guess, in, in, in college. Is that right? Where, where'd you play and what? Yeah. I started playing football in third grade and um, I was so big. They had to move me up to the older kids. I, like in third grade, I played with fifth graders and uh, a lot of, a lot of stories talk about stripping down your identity. There's one time I didn't make weight, you know? And so in my mind, I, I, I started viewing myself as flawed because I was so big, uh, but it was beneficial in football. And, um, and so I played, you know, third grade high school uh, from third grade all the way through high school and into my first two years of college. I played at Texas Southern University in Houston, uh, which is an HBC historically black college. That was very interesting. It was a it was a learning experience um, for me, a white man in Texas, uh, you know, going to a downtown school in Houston. Uh, historically black college, I was one of the only white people for miles. I, it was, uh, 
it was good. I actually learned what it meant to be a minority to very a very brief extent. I still don't understand all of the challenges that come with that, but it, it was eye-opening and I learned a lot. Um, and uh, so it was fun playing football. And then it was, you know, division one double A. And then there was a mission team that went out um, that same year I went into college. I wanted to go to Houston because I was dating Diana and she still had one year of high school. So that's why, uh, you know, I chose that school. It's the only school that offered me a scholarship. So I went there. Uh, God worked it out that way. And then we, when we, when she graduated, we moved up to West Texas A&M. Uh, there was a mission team in Amarillo and it's a division two school. And I, I played ball there. And so uh, my whole, my freshman year, I hurt my wrist. Never, you know, never saw the field. Didn't even practice much because I wasn't, had surgery. My sophomore year, I played in one game and started having these shooting pains down my leg. Uh, they treated it like it was a hamstring that, and I didn't play the whole season. Then that winter break, I came home and I was helping a, at a friend's ranch, doing some raking out of the stalls and my back seized up on me. And I found out that I had two herniated discs. Oh and so uh, I went to the doctor. I said, hey doc, can I still play ball? He said, well, do you like walking? And I said, yeah. He goes, don't ever put on pads again because you won't walk if you get hit again. And so uh, injuries shut that down. And uh, we joked that my wife also, Diana, prayed that I wouldn't go very far in football because she just didn't think that it was good for me uh, spiritually. And uh, so I always pray. I always joke with her that she ended my football career, that I, you know, I could have been, you know, something like J.J. Watt or somebody. You know? but, no, I wasn't. I was a small lineman. I was never that big. Um once you once you get to college, you realize who the real athletes are. And I was big in high school and small in college, so it was a fun. It lo- learned a lot about my character and and had a lot of fun playing. Them. I loved hitting people. It was great. Yeah, I I always find that interesting because in high school, I remember the stars on my high school team. I thought, oh man, these guys are incredible. They're gonna they're gonna you know no limit to where they're gonna go. And then you know. They would, they got some, a few of them got into college to play, but then they wouldn't even start on that team. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I mean, just totally different level. And then to go pro is another huge, I mean, just the level of skill is just, it's, it's hard to believe. Now you've lost a ton of weight, Marty, and you've sent me some pictures uh, before and after that I asked about, can you, I want to talk about this, this whole subject because as we get older, it's a bigger and bigger issue. How much were you at your peak in terms of weight? Yeah, so my sophomore year in college, uh, I, gained, I went up to, I got up to 315. So people talk about the freshman 15. I had the freshman 75. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and if you're a football player, every everything is competition, even eating. So, you know, you eat with the linemen you look like a lineman so we we just put it on and uh, I actually moved from defensive line to o-line uh, when I when I was uh, my sophomore year because I got so big I, I gained an inch but I also uh, gained 75 pounds and had to get all new clothes so it wasn't a it wasn't that great but I, that was my biggest 315 and um, so then Throughout the years, um, there's been different points where I've lost. I probably, most of my like post-college life, I lived around 295. And um, 
So I, I just, you know, eat everything in sight. Um, you know, I used to joke that if, if you could become a Mexican by eating Mexican food, I would be in the running. I live in San Antonio <laughs> and it, it's an absolute insult if you go to someone's house and they don't offer you chips and salsa. Like that is the way the culture is. And I loved it. I mean, it, and uh, so, um, and I had different people talk to me about it. I, I had a doctor's appointment where they diagnosed me with being pre-diabetic. Um, I also went to the dentist one time and I was, I drank a lot of soda, a lot of Dr. Pepper. And I had 18 cavities one time. Oh my gosh. One visit. At one visit. And at one visit, they diagnosed 18 cavities. Um, and that kind of coincided with the, uh, the, um, diet pre-diabetic. And so, um, I decided to stop drinking regular soda and I tried dieting. I tried, I tried different things and I would last for a few days, few weeks see marginal improvement, but then I'd go back into the habits of it. Um, Being in the ministry, even most things we do are around food. It's like, and if you go to the potluck being a big guy, everybody wants you to try their food. And it's like insulting (laughs) if you you pass on it. So it's a, you know, it's funny, you know, Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I lived in that realm. And um, so I lost about since then. So I went down about 290, 275, and I stayed 275, 285 for after just stopped drinking regular sodas, not much change in my physical activity. And then I got into lifting weights once I got over to College Station. I got back into it. My back injury had healed. Um, and so I, I was really nervous about getting back in. But then I got back in slowly, built up my core, and was able to, and I got really strong. I, uh, I built a lot of muscle. And then, um, uh, then I, I read a book, Sam Lang's book, Warrior, and the idea, uh, or he has this idea in the book of what your exploit's going to be. And not thinking much of it, I thought, I'm going to bench press twice of my weight, right? And that's going to be my exploit. You know what? He says, use your God-given talents. Say, well, I'm big, I'm strong. You know what? God gave me those things. I'm going to I'm gonna go for it. But at the time, I weighed 275. Like, 550 is that's just crazy strong. And uh, so kind of, I started to think, you know, how could I actually do this? And I, and I came up with an idea of losing weight and my goal was to get down to 225. Uh, And so in September of, I think it was 2017, you, Rob, you were actually in San Antonio at a, at a leaders conference. And right after we hung out, we went on a prayer walk. And uh, then the next week I started my diet and uh, from, September of mid-September of 17 to May of 18, I lost 60 pounds. I went wow. past my goal from, I got down to 215 and, um, I've lived, uh, I've lived kind of at that, that, that weight, uh, since then I, you know, learning how to, to go. And I did reach my goal of, of doubling my weight on bench press. You know, I got the, I bench pressed 450 pounds last fall. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a, it's a learning curve. Definitely learned a lot about myself and um, a lot about fitness and health and, and be kind of, it's kind of become my hobby of how to, how to imp- human performance has been a big pastime of mine. Okay. So first of all, congratulations. I mean, so you lost, you got down to 215 in the spring of 2018. Is that right? And yeah. have you been able to keep it off? Like, where are you at now? Yeah, I'm, I think I weighed in at two sixteen this morning. So I stay, I stay between two fifty, two twelve, and two twenty. Like, I try to, 
I stay there. So I, I've had to tweak my diet. When I first lost all the weight, I uh, used a lot of low, I used low, or I did keto diet and low calorie, which, you know, from a fitness standpoint, if you, you want to try to eat as much as you can while losing weight. Uh, to have as much calories as you can, your body can handle while losing weight is the ideal. And so with that, I've had to tweak it. Now I can eat about 3000 calories a day and still maintain weight, but it's just what I eat and the choices that I make. Um, but I, I've, I've gotten advice. I've, I've talked to different uh, people about um, and read books and, and different things that have helped me to, to maintain um, so okay, so let's let's break this down. So you were a physical health major in college, is that right? Yeah, I have a degree in kinesiology. Okay, um, so this is like your area of expertise. Somewhat. I mean, I was a certified PE teacher, so I, I did study it, and, and I did take you know different classes about physical performance and and uh, motor learning. Not much nutrition. I just had to take like one nutrition class. I've learned a lot since then. Um, about nutrition, but uh, yeah. Okay, well, the thing that strikes me, Marty, is like a lot of people hit plateaus. I'm certainly in a weight plateau where you get you get into a rut where you're stuck there, and it's relatively easy to maintain where you're at, but incredibly difficult to drop and then hold. You know, I can I'll lose some weight, but then amazingly enough, I'll go back straight back to that zone of, of weight that, that I guess my body feels comfortable with. What, what was it that like, was, was there like a crisis point that, that helped you to get off the starting blocks and start losing weight? Like, I mean, you're, you were what, 38 or so at the time. I mean, you've been in the upper two hundreds for a long time. I mean, what, what was it like? How how did you? So I think the inspirational and a good aspect, there's been a lot of motives and there, you know, when you, that's one of the things, if anybody was at, you know, thinking about going on a diet is ask, what are your motives? Okay. What are, why do you want to do this and develop a list of motives? Because some days one motive works another day, another motive works. And for me, it was inspiration of having this exploit of bench pressing twice my weight. And so that okay. was just a positive thing. Some of the negative things that I saw um, you know, as it says in Proverbs uh, 27, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And um, I saw close family members, uh, you know, battle with diabetes. I saw there, there was a brother who tragically passed away all of a sudden, right? And I knew that these people eat the same way I do. I know, uh, and I knew that I was headed down that road. I'd already been diagnosed as pre-diabetic um, and um, I was headed down that path if I didn't change something. And so I got to working out. I started working out, which I think was a good step for me because I enjoy working out. I enjoy getting in shape, but they, they, there's an old saying that, you know, muscles are built in the gym, abs are built in the kitchen, right? And so it comes down to diet. If you're going to if you're going to lean out, uh, you've got to diet. And so you've got to have a healthy diet. And so, um, so there are things that, that prompted it, you know, seeing people struggle with their health. And as a minister, I look at it and I go, okay, if I'm alive one more year, what impact will that make on my family? If I'm alive one more year, 
how many people could I reach out to in that just that one year? So there's spiritual motivation too, the, the needs of other people. Step back and you go spiritually, what does the Bible say about it? Well, I mean, your body is a temple. Your body is a temple. And so what are you doing with it? It's, it's, uh, it's interesting from a, from a professional standpoint, as a church builder, most of our resources go to uh, our employees. It goes to the support the ministry staff. Well, what are we doing to take care of our greatest resource, right? Emotionally, physically, spiritually, those are all really important things to consider. Um, and so I just decided, I mean, I, I went for it and I've, I've gained motivation throughout. One of the things that really motivated me was having success. You know, that first five pounds you lose, it's like, yeah, I lost five pounds. This is exciting. <laughs> and then it's 10. And then it's, and then it's, you get to go buy new clothes. You're like, wow, this is amazing. And I went from like a size 40 waist to a size 32 waist in my jeans. Wow. Um, and I had never been that thin. I mean, I've always been the big guy. And so it, uh, it's been so success. You just, it breeds success. You're excited about it. And, and I think if you can get the ball rolling and then learn how to keep it rolling, um, it really helps. But I definitely, there's, there's a lot of motivations out there. There's spiritual, there's danger, there's, uh, you know, success, inspirational. Like I want to be, it's been really encouraging. I get asked all the time from, uh, multiple people in the church, outside of the church, it's just become a great example. How did you get here? What did I knew you before? What what's happened? I mean, people on Facebook who haven't talked to me uh, in a long time uh, reached out to me and said, "Hey, how did you?" I, you know, it was. I'll tell a funny story. So, we go to a marriage retreat, and uh, we're there. We're at a. We ran into a, my wife. Ran into a couple at this grocery store near the hotel, and so I walk up and say hi, and then I step away to get something, and I knew them. I knew this couple she was talking to. But they introduced themselves to me. And so I thought, oh, maybe they forgot my name. So I introduced myself to them. I step away and they look at her and she go, they go, that was Marty? <laughs> and, and they go, we thought you must have got divorced and got a new husband. <laughs> it, it was such a drastic, and we laugh, you know, like, no, I, I, she did get a new husband, but I just, I just improved. So, uh, new and new in different ways. What an awesome story. Um, it was funny though. We laughed about it because she, they knew us for a long time and they didn't even recognize me. Well, it's funny. How, now how tall are you, Marty? I'm a six, three. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw you before and, and uh, just as you shared, I, I saw you right before you lost weight. You, I mean, you, you, I never would consider you fat at the time. I mean, you were just a big football player type person to me. So, but now when I see you, I go, oh my gosh, what a difference now. It's it's incredible. I mean, you're tall, you carried the weight. You, I knew you were into weightlifting. It, it, it certainly um, was something that's it's impressive now that I see see the difference. Now, what what role did Deanna play in this? Was she, what was going on behind the scenes? Was she like, hey, you better lose weight or, or else? Or is that happening? T tell me what was, what was coming from Deanna? No, that was that was never it's ne that's never been the case for us um she's never she fell in love with me uh when i was thin and then i got really big so you know she still loved me and, and she married me when i was probably at my biggest i mean and uh so she loved me nothing nothing in that area was ever a pressure um 
she's grateful for the changes I made, not because of how I look, but because of how that this has given me longevity for our family. And she's just really very proud of the decisions that I would make to be healthy. Um, and so she's just been an absolute support. I mean, she, I took, I went on a keto diet, which is a pretty drastic diet and actually hard to cook for. And so she got recipes. She learned how to cook uh, meals that I could eat. And so she was very supportive and the whole thing. And uh, so she's, yeah, she was, it was never negative. It was always support. And, uh, you know, she, she even says, I don't love you anymore now. And I'm like, come on, you got to, I look totally different. She <laughs> did, that, that's not who she is. Well, so. she's, she's very thin. I mean, she's, you know, a small person. And so it, it's interesting to me um, looking at those pictures. She, she's, she must have a real good handle on her own weight. She's, she's in great shape and seems super in control there. So let me, let's, let's keep going. How, how, let's talk a little bit how you did it. Let's talk about sure. what kind of a diet you were on and what you'd recommend sure. if people want it, want to drop some weight. So I was on a keto diet, which is um, ketogenic, and it's basically the science behind it is you shift your energy source uh, that you mainly rely on, which is carbs for most people, especially in the American diet, it's mostly carbs is your energy source. And you switch it to fat being your, your main energy source. And so it's a high fat, very low carb um, and, and, and moderate protein. And so, um, so if you looked at a pie, if you were gonna if you're gonna graph it, 70% is fats in your diet, 20% is protein, and 10% is carbs or net carbs. Net carbs is a phrase they'll use in keto diet, diets where you where you have insoluble fibers, and so you you have your sugars, your carbohydrates, you subtract your fibers, and then you get your net carbs. And so. Um, so I can get real scientific on it. I, I don't know how deep you want to, to dive into no, that. No, that's but, that's okay. Uh, I mean, it isn't isn't the keto diet? Is it related to the Atkins diet from from back in the seventies, eighties? It's very similar, and um, it's it's got a long history. Uh, and and basically, it's it's there's a lot of value actually in in people really who believe in the keto diet support it. And there's there's science behind it of it helps your brain function, your brain, your body operates better with a high fat diet versus a high carb diet. And there's a lot of different things with it. Um, and so initially I did a keto diet and I did a kind of a modified approach where I started and Monday through Friday, I lived in keto. And then Saturday, Sunday, I was just, I call them my treat days. Um, and or I treated, I just wasn't on a diet. And then I got back to it on, um, Monday through Friday, and, and I lost the first 40 pounds that way. And then I, I, first 45 that way. And then I went, I had to go further where I would stay on keto for about 13 to 14 days. And then they call it reloading where you, you eat healthy carbs like the 14th or 15th day. And then you get back in and do another cycle. And I, I was able to lose the, the next 15. Um, so one of the things just in a real practical way of how to approach this is, is find a a food tracker on, on your smart device, on your phone. Um, I use the Lose It app. And so the Lose It app is really great. And so the Lose It app, you go in and you put all your, your, your matrix and your age, your height, your weight. Um, and then it, and you say, they ask how much weight, what's your goal weight? And so you set a goal weight in there and then it's gonna give you a caloric limit for each day. And so 
so then you get your, your calorie limit. It sets it for you. And all you have to do is input your food. And so when you look at that, then you go, okay, I'm on keto. So you go 70% and it breaks down these, these are called macronutrients, fats, carbs, and proteins. And it breaks it down for you. You can see how many carbs you ate, how many proteins you just have to log your food. Um, you know, it sounds daunting to, you know, I got, I went all out. I got a scale for my food. I weigh my food. I don't even go to restaurants if I don't know the, the nutritional information, like when I'm, when I'm in, in diet. Um, because one of the worst things you can do on a diet is lie to yourself, okay? And give yourself excuses. And so if you lie to your, your food tracking app, you're not hurting anybody else but yourself. And it's, it's really interesting the way your mind works. You know, it's like, and you just want to cheat. Oh, here, here's 10 extra grams of this or that. But, you know, I'm not going to log that. It doesn't, that doesn't count. No, 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 log everything and don't lie. Um, that little habit right there of, of logging my food changed everything. And it, it was just a simple habit. So the first step I would say, if you wanted to begin a diet, first, talk to your doctor. Uh, you know, people, I want to say that weight is multifaceted. It could be a hormone issue. It could, it could be a lot of different things. Find out from your doctor, what would they prescribe? And then choose a diet. I chose the keto diet. It worked for me. Uh, I would say, honestly, I can lose 10 pounds in like six to seven days. Um, the way I work out and the way I live, that doesn't work. And I want to say, especially to the sisters, to the women who are listening, it's different for men and women on how to lose weight. I've, I've shared that at, at church. Yeah, I lost 10 pounds in the last five days. And sisters are struggling. They're like, I can't stand that. You know, they just felt so right. discouraged. Again, it, it, you got to find what diet would, would your doctors recommend and see if there's any underlying conditions that are leading, that are sending you that direction. Um, and then find whether it's paleo, keto, um, low carb diet, find a diet and then stick to it. So that's the step one is talk to the doctor and find a diet. Step one, step two, start logging your food. And this, I would say, do this before you even diet, just start logging your food, just write it, just log it. Uh, you can write it down as you go, maybe buy a food scale and, and just log it all in and just notice how, what you eat. And so you have a baseline of data. This is what I eat when I'm not on the diet and log it all. And then I promise you, if you do that for two weeks, by the second week, what will happen is just because you're logging it, you'll go, oh, I don't need to eat as much. Just in logging your food. And, um, and so start there. And then the, the next step is, is really just diving into the diet, okay? If it's keto and you really, you map it out. One of the things I do is I plan my meals. I know, you know, on, I, on Sunday or Monday, I plan my meals for the week. And it helps me because one of the hardest things in, when you're on a diet is to not have anything to eat. And when you get hungry, then you tend to cheat. That is the, the trajectory that we go to. What's easy. It's easy to grab a bag of chips. It's hard to slice up an avocado, right? It's the, you go to the, you go to the easy and not the, the, or yeah. So that, that's definitely it. And then you diet, um, you know, as far as physical fitness and training and exercise, um, one of the things that helps maintain weight and metabolism is to have more muscle mass. Okay. And so if you're wanting to maintain weight, 
increase your muscle mass because the, the more muscles you have in your body, the better metabolism you'll have. You know, I lost so much weight well, primarily because I had, I was on the diet, but also I had two and a half years of weight training prior to that. So once you're already in, in that mode of that much, that much muscle, then it, and it transfers to uh, having a better metabolism and then it, it helps you maintain. A lot of times people go back and forth because they don't have, they're not very strong. They don't have, and I'm not saying like become an Olympic lifter. I'm just saying you don't have much muscle mass. Uh, things like body weight exercise, like doing uh, box step, step ups, just working on, on the, the, some of the largest muscle groups of your body or your quads and, and your hips and your glutes. So just growing those and, and strengthening those, it helps in a long way. Um, Okay. But I, I, I definitely love lifting weights and I can talk about that too. Um, well, that's a, that's a, maybe a little different question. Let's, let's, this is, this is great. And I really appreciate it. I've got some questions for you. Like number one, a scale, like, do you have a recommendation for a scale? Like where, uh, just where, a food scale, just a food scale anywhere uh, on, they, just on Amazon. Yeah, okay. Food scale. They, yeah. Amazon type in food scale. You'll get one. Okay. Uh, buy a, a weight scale that you can weigh yourself on that you have at your house. Okay. Here's another thing. One of the challenges in church that I've noticed is, you know, I'll go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to really buckle down here on my, my, my program. I'll, and I'll follow it fairly, fairly well for a couple days, but then there's something special. There's the exception day. Like, oh, it's somebody's birthday. Oh, it's my kid's birthday. Oh, it's, we get invited over to someone's house or it's buffet night or potluck night. You know, this is pre-COVID there's always the exception. There's always food is like central to outreach. And, you know, I, many, many times I've gone to a, a potluck or a party. And I go, I am not going to eat all that food. I'm not going to touch it. I'm just going to have either something I've set aside or I'm just going to have salad. And I, I'll just crash that promise. <laughs> I mean, I'll just get into it and it will be forgotten. How do you deal with church living and sticking to a diet? Yeah. One of the things I do um, is when I, I try to control where we go to eat because um, then I can know, because that's the biggest thing. It's not, you don't want to starve yourself on a diet that, that will, you don't want to eat so little carbs. I think you want to eat the, whatever lose it says is your max number. Stay there. Don't calories is not something choose what you eat. Don't eat less calories because just less calories, you're going to end up fatigued and you're going to burn out. So you want to eat, you want to eat to live and not live to eat. This is total different things. And so when it comes to those special occasions, you know, it's my kid's birthday and uh, they, uh, my kids got into baking over the, the COVID. And so daddy's not going to turn down uh, what his little daughter has made. You know what I mean? Like that. And so I'll just have half a piece. I'll just try a bite. I'll, I'll try a little bit. And one of the things that I've learned with diets and goals is don't be shamed by them. So if you have an exception, have an exception, then get back on it, right? That's why I had treat, it really helped me to have treat meals or treat days at the end of the week because I knew like, hey, Monday through Friday, it's real nice and tight. And say, you know, Thursday night, somebody's, Thursday, somebody's birthday. Well, then Saturday, I'm gonna stay on my diet. And I just kind of had that I, uh, flexibility um, to choose. And when I've gone over to people's house, like I, I remember being really on keto and we went over to this couple we're reaching out to 
And sure enough, they made lasagna. <laughs> I didn't say anything about my diet. I just ate the lasagna and I said, thank you. It was very good. Uh, and then I prayed about, you know, my, no, I didn't, I didn't even worry about it. I just, I just moved on. Okay. And so that's the thing, like, you don't want to create shame with this. Like right. so much of weight loss and it, it, shame doesn't help goals. Right. Goals are meant to inspire. So if you, right. if you, what I tell my kids when I coach them in sports is you make a mad, bad play or something happens make a new one. The next play is all that matters. So if you have a bad evening, something happens, you, you, you come home and your wife has made you this amazing chocolate cake, eat some, don't eat all of it and then get back on the next day. Okay. Well, this is especially timely, Marty, because we, as we record this, this is November 20th when this is being recorded, we are going into Thanksgiving week next week. And then it's basically the holidays, which is just one party after another, you know, culminating with, with Christmas, Christmas dinner. How, how are you going to navigate that? Tell me what your plan is to, sure. to maintain your weight. How, yeah, how are you going to get through this without gaining 20 pounds? Yeah, my, my plan is, is to uh, be disciplined when it's not rude to be disciplined. Like if I go to my grandmother's house and she offers me mashed potatoes, I'm going to eat her mashed potatoes and her rolls and say, thank you. I'm not going to eat all of them, right? I'm not going to eat as much as I have in the past, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be rude either. Um, and then the next day, I'm going to get back on my diet. Uh, I plan, I'm, uh, I'm going to travel to see my family. I'll bring, I have some fitness bands. I have a plan to go running while I'm there. So, you know, uh, maybe I'll run a little bit more on Thanksgiving morning, you know, before, you know, before you eat all the turkey and want to go to sleep, run, you know, do something before. Because uh, again, it's just about balance. I, I, I found that maintenance or diets are one thing, like getting on a diet and, and, and to lose a, a certain amount of weight is one thing, but you got to find a lifestyle of wellness, a lifestyle of fitness. And that's what I've gotten into now. Um, where I've been at, you know, 215 to 220 um, for over a year now. Wow. Uh, for a little bit there, when I was working on get to 450, I had to eat more and I got up to 225. Um, but again, it was very measured what I was eating. And, um, and I think the, if you can transition from a, a, a diet mentality to I'm in a healthy lifestyle, uh, it's kind of like the difference between inviting somebody to event to a service because we have an invitation versus lifestyle evangelism. Mm. You have to have a lifestyle that brings wellness. And, and these are the things that I've, I've asked myself is what is wellness? Uh, this last year, one of the other things that inspired me was Luke 957 about being fit to serve. And I've done a study and, and you can see it on AggielandCC.com. We have our, our YouTube there. And I did a whole class for ministers on being fit to serve, physically fit, emotionally fit, and spiritually fit. Because the question is, I'm not, not going to be fit today, but will I be fit 40 years from now? Mm. I want to be fit to serve when I'm 80 years old, mm. physically, emotionally, spiritually. So the question then is, okay, what are the things I need to do now? What are the seeds I need to plant now? And the patterns, the habits I need to get into now that promote wellness mm. in all those areas of my life? And so for me, it's, it's regular, like it's consistent diet. So right now I live Monday through Friday in a low carb lifestyle. Uh, when I eat carbs, it's just right in the morning, uh, before or after a workout, the rest of the day, I don't really eat carbs. And then on Saturday, Sunday, 
unable to to go off diet and just relax a little bit. I don't log my food Saturday, Sunday, then I'm back in Monday through Friday. And this lifestyle, I've been able to maintain it and I'm, I'm hitting record strength levels, uh, well, physical that, fitness okay, levels. Okay, so that was my question. Haven't you lost a lot of strength with all that weight loss? That's That's my concern is if I lose weight, I've been working out, but if you lose weight, you're gonna lose strength along with it. So tell me about that. Sure. So to somebody who, who wants to uh, remain strong, watch your proteins, keep your proteins up. You may not go down to, uh, your protein is the, is a muscle builder. So um, I think that, and just working out consistently. See right now, what happens with our body, it always wants to go back to homeostasis. And the idea that, you know, I get the same input, same output. And so that happens with workouts, that happens with food. So you have to shock your system. P90X is like all about, like they say your body has to be shocked. And it was a very popular thing because it was successful because they changed and and they changed the workouts, they changed the diets. So um, if you get stuck, like when I got stuck after 45 pounds, I went three weeks, four weeks and and didn't lose any more weight. I had to change. And then I, I went to 13 days of keto instead of five. And then I lost the rest of that I wanted to lose. So with, when it comes to physical fitness right now, if you're, if you're already lifting weights, you're probably going to maintain your strength, right? Uh, if you're worried, if you start to lose strength, um, maybe back off of the cardio a little bit and, and lift heavier. Um, that's one of the things I do. I like lifting heavy. And so I, I do more of like a, um, a weight power lifter workouts, like five by fives, like at 80% max. So I'll be doing, you know, 350, 365 pounds, five by five, five sets by five on the bench press. Um, but it's again, and, and it's, it's just to maintain that strength. So, okay. Well, this brings up so many questions. I hope you don't mind me peppering you with questions, but no, no problem. One of the, the, yeah. One of the dynamics I found is that I'll, I'll try to s- stick to a diet during the daytime. I do great breakfast, lunch, no problem. Dinner, mm, you know, it's hard to stay on track. And then where I really crash is at night. And it's it's almost like my body's saying, hey, you've got a deficit here. you got to match. And so I'll dig into chips, candy. I'll be rummaging around looking for something. And I'll just, so often I'll just kick myself. I go, oh, I was doing so good. And then after eight o'clock, I just do all this damage, uh, you know, in the, in the last hour before I go to bed or last couple hours. How, how do you tackle that? So like I said, I've become a kind of my hobby nerd slash out of the ministry stuff that I look into is human performance and how people change. And one of the things I've really studied a lot is habits. And there's a great book, um, The Power of Habits. Uh, I can't think of the author right now, but it goes it into du- it. Du- it really, yeah, Duhigg. And he goes into the idea of, of willpower, okay? And will the willpower muscle. And any strength training book, anybody worth their, their salt in talking about fitness and exercise, the strongest muscle is in between your ears. It's your brain. It's your mental toughness, okay? And it's willpower. And so often people, he goes, describes in the book that willpower is thought to be a, a skill, a talent, something that someone has that someone else doesn't have, like singing. I don't have that talent. And everybody in my church says, amen, you don't have that talent. But we think of it as a talent. 
like willpower is talent, but willpower is something that is learned and it's actually a muscle. That willpower is a muscle and like a muscle, it can get fatigued and be tired. So I found the same thing with my own self that it was funny when I, I wanted to snack, it was like on clockwork, Wednesday night after church. And why was that? Well, I had used my willpower all day long, that muscle. Then I went to church and I talked to people, had to be in conversations where I had to bite my tongue and choose my words. And I had exercised that willpower. I had raised my kids. I was trying not to raise my voice. I used that willpower. And then I get home, they're in bed. I want to put on Sports Center and just eat chips. Like I, I just <laughs> felt that urge. And what, it, what was it? the willpower muscle was fatigued. And so that's one of the, the greatest lessons I've learned about physical fitness, diet, all of that is that the willpower muscle controls a lot of it. And the cool thing is it is a muscle and it can get stronger. You can, anyone, anyone can get mentally stronger. Anyone can get, uh, but it takes discipline. And so, um, so I, I say that to say what I do at night that as I already have a predetermined snack that that's keto friendly. And so I, it's a real simple thing. I, I like peanut butter. I could just eat it that straight out of the jar. It's keto friendly, high in protein, high in fat, perfect for what I do. Um, and so at night I, I eat peanut butter and I throw a couple of little uh, dark chocolate chips in there because they're low in sugar. And instead of having a candy bar, I have that. And I've been eating that snack for, I don't know how long, but it, again, it's, it's within my calorie limit and it's within my, my uh, micronutrients that I'm trying to get in my body. But it just helps to know, okay, this is how I end my day. Uh, I'm usually hungry, just like you. At night, I want a snack. Well, finding and, and providing a healthy snack really helps. Uh, most nutritionists would say you need to clean out your pantry when you go on a diet. Um, that's true. Uh, but then as a parent, you know, Halloween comes around and what do our kids get candy East Valentine's comes around. What do our kids get candy Easter comes around. What do our kids get candy? And we wonder why there's a diabetic <laughs> pandemic in our world. I mean, <laughs> the culture is all about sugar, man. Like it's crazy. And so, uh, you know, and I was the dad, I forget, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I told my kids, I wasn't Jimmy Kimmel, like I ate all your candy. No, I literally would. And I would <laughs> it was there at night and I get a piece, two or three pieces, you know, daddy, what happened to my candy? I ate it, you know, and uh, um, so again, it's having that willpower that, but I had to have different options. That's great. You know? That's so that helps me to have an option that is within my diet, within my calorie limit and then also know that it's just a that's normal right willpower gets fatigued okay just a couple more questions here one give me give me like a a standard day when you're in your current diet your maintenance diet like what's it look like give me sure okay so um you know i get up i'll add the physical activity i i, I go on a prayer walk first thing in the morning about 6 a.m. Uh, I try to get up an hour before my kids get up or anybody else. And I just go pray. I read and a journal. That's also ties into my, those things help me be who I need to be and having the right emotional, physical, it's all connected. Right. And if you're off emotionally, what do you want to do? You want to eat more. Mm -hmm. And if you're off spiritually, all these things are connected. So 
it, I'm looking at more of a holistic lifestyle. Um, and so I get up at six, I go pray, I read, I journal, and then I get the kids up, I make their lunches, breakfast, and I eat um, for in the morning, I eat, a, I found a, a carb friendly yogurt that I eat and I have some granola that is, um, it's, it's non-grain granola and it, it's a lower carb. I found the lowest carbs I can find and I eat that. I have a, I found a great protein bar. Quest protein bars are awesome. Uh, they have a little bit of sugar alcohols in them, um, but that's my morning breakfast. And then I go to the gym, I come home, uh, eat about 10.30 or 11, another snack. Um, and for that snack, I eat peanut butter and dark chocolate almonds. Again, my sugars are in the morning. So but before and after and science, there's a lot of science behind it there, there that you will burn your body is still burning from the workout. So you're gonna, you're gonna burn it. If you're gonna eat carbs, eat them in the morning. And then the afternoon, I'll have a, a low carb lunch, you know, uh, be it a salad with some steak in it or, um, you know, hot dogs, even just something simple. That's one of the things I keep on as a staple, uh, being on a keto diet, it's high fat, it's quick. And I could just throw them in the microwave. It's not, it doesn't sound great. I just ate hot dogs. I love hot um, dogs. But, you know, just it's simple. I don't have the bun. I just eat, you know, uh, three or four hot dogs. And then uh, for dinner, I may have a snack, maybe some type of nuts in the afternoon. Um, with my keto, one of the things they'll caution you with is not just eating eggs and butter and cheese, because those uh, also have triglycerides in them or lots of bacon. They call it the bacon diet. And that's fine. You will, you will be in your goals, but you're also bringing other things that are bad. So I try to eat a lot of plant-based fats, avocados, nuts, uh, finding um, those are, are healthier for as far as heart health. Um, so I eat those and then I have a carb-friendly meal. Um, you know, I, we eat a lot of zucchini in our house, a lot of vegetables, like, you know, stir fry is a great meal. Instead of having rice, uh, I use collie rice, cauliflower rice, um, and honestly can't tell the taste anymore. Uh, like if we have, say we're gonna have uh, tacos, uh, I found at the grocery store, they have folio wraps, which are cheese. <laughs> and so you can, you can make a taco with cheese, it's a cheese wrap. And so again, uh, no carbs. It's, it's just, you choose one for the other. So right. instead of having tortillas, I'm having this. Instead of having uh, regular rice, I'm eating collie rice. Um, and you just make those choices. And in the end of the day, like I said, I eat, uh, peanut butter. And so that's kind of my, my meals. I, I eat 3000 calories though. Most people probably wouldn't eat that much, but I'm also trying to stay as strong as possible. So, wow. uh, I eat quite a bit of calories. And you can still bench 450. Is that right? Uh, right now, uh, I got keto or I got uh, coronavirus. I got COVID earlier this year and uh -oh. it attacks your muscles. So. I was fine. I had a mild case, thank God, but no, no real complications, but I, I did lose some strength. And so I could probably bench, I don't know, 375 right now. Uh, I lost some strength. It's, it's hard on that top end uh, to stay there. You know, it's yeah. kind of one of those things you get to the goal. And then if you don't stay lifting really heavy, you can drop off. So, wow. um, so I, I could just do 375 right now. Oh my gosh. That's, that's amazing. Now, I, I really appreciate it. Any, any final words for, for people that want to make this life count? I mean, you are doing great things in the campus ministry and in your church um, at a great university. <clears throat> what advice would you give to people who are thinking, hey, I want, I want to give my life to God. I want to make a difference for this life. Yeah. 
I think one of the things that I've learned is although we live in an individualistic society, we don't take care of ourselves. And especially ministers, ministers are busy taking care of other people. Uh, this is a condition for a lot of moms. Uh, they don't take care of themselves. They're busy taking care of everybody else. But I've really just gained the conviction for me to be at my best. I need to take care of myself. I need to, um, my goal is to be fit to serve for 40 years. So I want to think about the dangers, what dangers are on the road ahead. Um, the last couple of years, I focused on my physical fitness and I wanted to be fit to serve physically. Like I, I wanted to be able to, I want to be able to walk my daughters down the aisle. I don't want to get so out of shape and so um, that, I, that I can't even walk them down the aisle. I want to dance with my daughters at their wedding. These are things that if I didn't change, I was in danger of. Mm. And so I think about long-term and, and I go, okay, uh, use the law of sowing and reaping. What seeds can I sow now? Because I'm sure going to reap them later. And there's no better truth in the, of life than that truth, that, especially when it comes to physical fitness. I'd also say, you know, there's emotional fitness and keeping yourself emotionally fit it's something I, I've, I've really prayed about at the beginning of the year. This was my goal. This was the thing I was going to tackle. What does it mean to be emotionally fit? Little did I know all the challenges that would unfold in 2020. And, you know, but it's been good. I, I'm standing on my own two feet. I, I have a God who loves me and an identity that is not based on how I perform or based on other people. It's just based on me and God. And that's been really good. Also, the things that I would say is, is find some holy habits. It's a phrase that I use. What are your holy habits? When do you get with God? When, when, what is your habit? Could your kids or someone else look at your life, follow the way you live? Would they be able to see habits? We all do them. We all have habits. You know, when we get up, when we go to bed, uh, when we read our Bible, when we confess our sin, when we don't. The question is, if somebody followed your habits, would they be closer to God or would they be farther away? Mm -hmm. And so the thing I'd, I'd encourage all listeners is just to find your holy habits. Have a habit for when you read your Bible. Have a habit for when you pray. Have a habit for when you confess sin. The truth is all of us are going to sin and we need to have deep convictions about confession. So have relational habits of where you're building. This is my time. This is when I get with people. Um, and so these holy habits, I mean, I think of Hebrews 5, it, it says that the mature through constant use are able to gain discernment. And so habits are what? Are things we do constantly. And so I think our life, um, many psychologists have said this, but our life is just a, a ball of habits. And, and the things we put in, the seeds we plant, um, they will, will reap a harvest. And so I'd encourage people, find, identify your holy habits. Ask people, hey, what are the habits that you have? Ask mature Christians around you. What are your habits when it comes to Bible study, reading, confession, relationships? What are your habits when it comes to uh, reaching out? How, how do you do this? Because again, we're, the, you know, you want to know who you're going to be tomorrow? Well, look at who you were yesterday. Your, your habits are going to continue. And so let's set them right. Let's set them in the right direction. And, um, and God will really be glorified uh, through these habits. Wow. <clears throat> that is fantastic advice. And I really appreciate the time with you, Marty, um, your example. Uh, it's, it's powerful. Uh, thank you so much. And I want to thank you today for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. It's great to 
just spend this little time together a couple times a week. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I hope you have a great day and make this life count.